0: Welcome to Called, a podcast where we explore the intersection of ministry
1: and the rest of our lives as church workers. I'm Bill Smoots. And I'm Sarah Bariza. Join us on the first and third Tuesdays as we talk about cutting out the BS in our lives and embracing all that is good.
0: Between the two of us, we have ministered in churches for over 50 years, and we haven't burnt out yet.
1: It's been close, but we're not there yet. I have pastored primarily Presbyterian congregations, urban, rural, uh, big, small, and, and for the last four or five years, I have been doing interim transitional work in United Church of Christ congregations.
0: And I have been a church musician all over the denominational spectrum, mainline evangelical Catholic. Basically, if they hire organists, I have probably worked for them. And today... We are talking about the one thing you need in ministry that they didn't teach in school. You never took a class on this. You uh, probably didn't even hear professors talk about this in seminary or grad school. But you have to have this or you're going to be miserable.
1: And you're going to shrivel up and die at some
0: point. So let's see if you can guess what this is. We're going to start out with a story. I was 11 years old, almost 12, and the lead pianist at my little Baptist church moved away. And at nearly 12, I was the next person in line. And so for the next six years, I was the lead pianist in a Baptist congregation where that meant I was like the main lead musician for the church, and I played for three services a week, and the choir and most of the solos and the prelude, the postlude, all that. Not always because there were other mu- musical people in the church, but I was, I was the, the person. And what that means is that I was the person who um, got hymns that morning right before the service started. Not before? Uh, sometimes before, but sometimes not. And I was the person who a visiting evangelist would call up during the middle of the sermon, hey, Sarah, come accompany me while I sing this hymn. I was that person oh. um, as a you know middle school, high school student. And you know what? As I look back on those six years at that little Baptist church, I think that was the best training I could have had. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, I mean, yeah, I had great music lessons. I had good teachers, all that good stuff. But that insistence on turning on a dime of suddenly in the midst of a service, oh, you're going to, okay, here's the hand that the, the the Spirit has led me to sing for our altar call, that kind of stuff. Like, go right now, do it. Wow. So yeah, what is it that we're talking about? Flexibility. Flexibility is where it's at for church workers, anybody who's in a ministry setting.
1: Anybody in a ministry setting knows that or is suffering because they don't?
0: But I think it's something where we need it, but we might not realize that we need it until we're actually in ministry. Oh yes. And so I think a lot oh, of yes. times people who are like, I was a religion major and then I did an MDiv and I've done some CPE, but I haven't really spent years in the trenches. You might not think of this as a skill set that you have to consistently develop in your life and be intentionally even seeking out opportunities for developing your personal flexibility. You might not think this is something that you really need because probably your teachers never told you that you needed this, even though it's so fundamental to the work that we do.
1: It is, and in my experience, if we don't, learn flexibility along the way, and that can even change, well it does change from congregation to congregation, but if we don't have some base level of flexibility, we're it may affect us physically, it certainly affects us emotionally, and it can have real negative consequences on interaction with the congregation, versus if, if we learn to anticipate the need to be flexible and and and, and really practice being flexible. Um, it, it gives us legs up in our interactions with people and uh, how we can help a congregation engage in ministry in just innumerable ways, uh, ways that, that that we need. I, I'm I'm serious. If if you don't learn to be flexible, I also, also like to throw in the word nimble. I I think you shrivel up and die in ministry, and churches shrivel up and die if they don't learn this as well.
0: This is kind of like a pro and a con. Like, well, we probably most people listening to this are like, okay, yeah, I see why flexibility is important. But flexibility is important because of the good things that it brings. Um, by being flexible, I like to think of it as like a a way we think about luck as in luck is something where the good opportunity comes and you were ready to take that opportunity. Right. And flexibility is part of what makes you able to embrace things, good things as they come along. But on the the negative side is that flexibility also helps us avoid a whole host of problems that churches in particular are beset by. I, I mean, if people in general are reluctant to change, churches are even more so. We're kind of like a concentrated, all the people reluctant to change get together Sunday morning, 10 a.m. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we'll remind ourselves why we don't like change. Mm-hmm. God never changes and so
0: never. That's that's right, that's uh, right, yeah, no. um so, so I feel like there's like that, that both and side of things, like we want to be ready to embrace the good things when they come along, um and yet we also want to avoid just being totally stuck in concrete, yeah.
1: So should I use my great athletic metaphor now? Oh, oh, yes, please do. Okay, okay. Physiologically, I am one of the most inflexible people you will ever meet. Uh, I have, when I in my more athletic days, I had to spend extra time stretching just so I wouldn't pull something or, or rip uh, a muscle or a tendon or a ligament. And, and as I've gotten older and less athletic, walking has become my thing. But I've learned that if I don't take time to stretch my calves and my shins, I will develop shins. Because I'm so inflexible that, that there's then a physical uh, issue that pops up. And, and I want to kind of morph this over to the church. Churches that don't take the time to be flexible, to work at flexibility, and all the good things that can offer, uh, then, as you were saying, have to deal with some negative consequences. If a church can't be, isn't flexible enough for a great ministry opportunity when it comes by... It it loses all the potential that that ministry opportunity could have brought to the church. If if a church can't be flexible when the needs of its members change, or or the needs of its youth and children change. They're going to lose those. They're going to lose those members. They're going to lose the ability to relate to those young people and children, and and so lose. And, and so, uh, paying attention to flexibility, uh, trying to be nimble, especially if a church wants to be vital in the 21st century, is a must.
0: And how can churches develop their flexibility? How can they learn to be more flexible? I think that starts with church leadership.
1: I think it does, and 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 it's it's church leadership that's open to change because flexibility and nimbleness often uh, in interact hand. with change, and yeah, go hand in hand. I think it has to do also, and and you've heard me get preaching on this, but but with our governance structures. Oh yeah. In my Presbyterian world, and now in my experience in the UCC world, how uh, governing boards are put together with officers rotating on and off on three-year terms, or maybe they can serve a maximum of six years before they have to rotate off for at least a year. It creates this short term uh, mentality. I don't want things to fail on my watch. So for the next three years, the next six years, I'm just going to make sure we keep doing the same thing so that nothing fails. What this kind of board has lost is the ability to look bigger picture or to look long term. It's it's a maintenance board versus a leadership board.
0: And this can set up a um, conflict between pastoral leadership who is having, hopefully having this creative vision for the church and hopefully... hopefully, living into flexibility and quick response to the needs of the congregation and to the leading of the Holy Spirit. But if you have a board that is really not able to see beyond that very short-term mindset and that like, well, we just need to keep the roof watertight, that, that kind of thing. Um, it puts a conflict into the very system of the church. It might not even be that the people themselves are in conflict with each other, it's that the whole system was built on
1: Correct. this kind of conflict. It's, it, and, and I wouldn't want to blame it really on the individual mm-hmm. board members, exactly. but it's it's a it's a culture, mm-hmm. a board culture where, where there is this dichotomy created. Because when I've gone in to different congregations, my, my charge is to provide vision, to help lead Lead this congregation into God's future. And that runs smack into uh, a board culture that is built upon. We just got to survive for the three years or the six years that that I'm on uh, without failing, and, and that I don't care what else goes on. And maybe don't care is too harsh a, uh, an expression, but their their vision is limited to that time they are in active service. And, and so pastors and boards are almost set at odds from the get-go.
0: Can we bring this to the really important theological thing that's going on here which is the openness to the leading of the holy spirit. Mm. And this is I'm seeing this as something that can be like pastoral teaching on this topic but also something that like we ourselves we need to live into what we believe about the holy spirit.
1: Correct. Correct. I I, I and I and I think the holy spirit is is hard for us to to talk about in churches because it's just that it's spirit it's 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 less visible than even uh, a distant Jesus or or the God of creation you know they at least get some airplay in the Bible uh, the Holy Spirit kind of is here and there and and everywhere but doesn't get real solid descriptions and we don't have long parables from the Holy Spirit yeah
0: yeah what
1: what we do have and and one of my favorite references to the Holy Spirit is uh, the story of Peter and Cornelius in acts 10 and 11 where you know Peter's having all these great visions that all all food is is now acceptable. You don't have to worry about kosher. And then he gets contacted from uh, this Gentile Cornelius and his household. Hey, come and and uh, and and tell us about what God is doing these days. And so Peter goes and tells them, and signs of the Spirit appear is what the scripture says. And in the early church I like when... to think
0: of that as a dance party breaking out.
1: Oh, I like that. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little a little a little dance. I'm a conga line broke out in Cornelius's courtyard. In the early church when signs of the spirit appear, baptism follows. That's the baptism is re- in reaction to the spirit appearing. And so Peter baptizes all these Gentiles thinks nothing of it heads back to Jerusalem and he gets back there and he's telling all the the gathered leaders of the the, the church in Jerusalem uh, how God has been using him and what the Holy Spirit's been doing and he tells the story of baptizing these Gentiles and they everybody freaked out you did what because that that act of baptizing somebody who wasn't a Jew was in violation of the dictates of the Hebrew Scriptures. And, and so the text says there was a big discussion that ensues and much prayer, and that the early the, the, the group that was gathered came to the conclusion that uh, the Holy Spirit was, was leading the church in new directions. And so for me, that's not just an invitation to flexibility and nimbleness, that's a requirement. Environment for flexibility and nimbleness. If we're going to take the Holy Spirit seriously and believe that the Holy Spirit is constantly inviting us as God's people, as disciples of Jesus, into God's future, then we've got to be open to that leading and be able to move uh, at the Spirit's speed, not just at our own speed. Uh, Oh, look, the Spirit's taking us someplace. Let's form a committee and (laughs) talk about that for the next nine to 12 months, and then do a survey of the congregation, and maybe within three years, we'll be ready to try something new. Uh Uh-uh. That's not going to work. The church will be dead before then.
0: I feel like we have like two two sides of this that are are really difficult to navigate. And one is this, like, on one hand, you want to be able to move quick, quickly. You want to be nimble. You want to have that ability to follow the Spirit. At the same time, in case anyone couldn't tell from this podcast, we are not um, one person on the throne of the pulpit uh, leading the church <laughs> by the will of God kind of people, in our <laughs> back- to <laughs> put it mildly.
1: We're, we're not hair pastor?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and so I can, I can see how the committees come up or the the church structure comes up as a as a means of guarding against that kind of cultish we have the one person and we follow that one person, probably man's uh leading on all things, right? And so like like there's so, so we've got this this issue. But then we also um have this thing that flexibility is not, and sometimes people think it is, but it's not, which is that flexibility is not the same as not planning. Mm. Right? Yes and planning yes is absolutely vital to what you're doing. You've got to plan. You really need to be thoughtful about what you're doing. You need to think long-term. You need to think short-term. But having a plan doesn't mean that your plan can't change or that your plan doesn't have built-in, built-in room for flexibility. It's kind of like having that open space in your life, intentionally saying, I'm going to leave some open space in my life so that it can be filled with wherever God leads me right? And in the church year, we can do that also. In the church planning structure, we can have that built in, you know, I mean, like to be so mundane, like, oh, I've got all these anthems planned for the year. Well, I know I'm going to be able to add a few in part because I have the budget for it, but in part because I'm intentionally leaving room for what I think is the Holy Spirit leading me in my like explorations of choral literature, like so mundane, but this is a really practical way of living into that flexibility.
1: Correct, correct. And and I think in all our planning, uh, whether it's as, as specific as setting up anthems for particular Sundays or or thinking about whether this is the right building for the church or not, in all our planning, somewhere along the way, somebody needs to say, where's the Holy Spirit in all this? And often, in my experience, that's been part of my role in as I'm providing pastoral leadership. But I think it's got to be more than just the pastor doing that. It's got to be all the members of the church staff doing it. It's really got to be all the members of leadership boards. And, and it would be ideal if it was all the members saying, Where's the Holy Spirit in this? Where 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 do we sense the Spirit is taking us? Because in 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 my good Presbyterian theological background, we believe that the Holy Spirit will take us places as a group of believers that's greater than uh, what we might perceive as individuals. Uh, yeah. the sum is greater than, or the whole is greater than the sum of our individual parts. And
0: and that goes back to the whole like culty kind of leader thing, which is that God doesn't lead one individual person into some wackadoodle direction, right? <laughs> <laughs> to put it to put it really um, you mean specifically like to and elegantly. Kool Aid, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. But God does lead us collectively, right? right. Um, and that doesn't procure. I don't mean to say God cannot lead an individual person, but you know, if the Spirit is moving in a particular direction, it's not just that
1: that one person. And, and I think our scriptural witness is that God tends to um, work with God's people. Yes, there are individual leaders that crop up yeah, and they're very yeah. important, but it's usually within a communal context that, that God is speaking and God is moving. We, we
0: see this in like the Reformations in history of like, yeah, there are these leaders of a movement, but there's a whole movement of people that are part of making this happen, and we don't know all their names, and we might not even remember all of them because... Just the way we write history, we tend to focus on the winners, but also just like the key people who did the thing. But that's not how it actually works in real time. So let's bring this back to where we started. Um, when I was in a church where I was demanded to be flexible, expected to be flexible at all times, I didn't realize that that's what I was learning. But now, as an adult, as a full time practitioner, I can choose to seek out opportunities for flexible and I can live into that kind of yes to God yes to the Holy Spirit yes to God's people around me in an intentional mm. intentional way and i think that that's something that we could all need to consider like how what does that actually look like in real life yeah we want to be flexible but what does that actually mean
1: sunday to sunday week to week what does it mean without having to become the church's primary musician when you're in sixth grade? Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a story that leads in. but it, it's just an example of like it, it's a great that it is a part practice. of your
1: story mm-hmm. and and how cool you have that. But how do we all, develop that openness or, yeah. or create that openness because it does take practice. It doesn't just happen. The
0: lesson here is that it is a practice. Yes. And just because, well, I did that one flexible thing this one time does not mean they, <laughs> they have lived
1: into this thing.
0: It's kind of like going to the gym. Well, I went to the gym once, so now I'm an athlete.
1: On October 13th, 1979, I was flexible.
0: Whoa. Yeah. That was really remarkable. <laughs> yeah, it was.
1: And and that hasn't carried me since. Shock and yeah. surprise. Yeah.
0: So like this is, this is an ongoing thing practice.
1: I'd be interested if any of our listeners have practices that that help them with flexibility and nimbleness. Are there things they do that are intentional? Or are there things they've just figured out? um, Oh, I've been doing this and it's helped me be flexible, but I hadn't connected it until I thought about it. Some
0: of it is like um, being open to how people are going to answer your questions in ways that you don't expect like mm. I do this in the sense of like oh hey people in the church do you want to participate in the music program with your instrumental gifts and i don't know what's going to come from that i don't know what piece they're going to bring in i you know like that's a one specific thing but the practice of asking for something not knowing what you're going to receive is a is a practice of flexibility
1: Well, this summer in our worship services where we've been working on creativity and faith formation, one of the things we've tried to do is invite people to offer testimony. Mm -hmm. And and, And the the instruction I've given is talk about a a moment in your life where faith was really important to you or or where you felt yourself uh, connected to God uh, in, in a unique way. And we haven't known what we've... What we were going to get. And each testimony has been very different than the others, but each has been so powerful and so meaningful. And the surprise, I think, for us who plan these services, the staff team, has been the vulnerability that those testimonies have invited all in the congregation to have.
0: This is kind of going back to the like, you plan, and then there's the flexibility that comes into your plan. And so we can plan all these testimonies. I can plan all this music stuff or whatever it is. You can plan your sermon series, but you don't know what's going to happen that week and how things are going to change. And you want to be able to respond to that.
1: That's right. And I've said to everybody, three to five minutes. And I don't think there's anybody that's been even close to five minutes. So we've needed to be flexible and say, okay, let's do this or let's do that. But it's been so worth it.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like the Holy Spirit is worth it or something. I mean gosh. What?
1: What? what a concept. Maybe maybe that's where we ought to leave things. The Holy Spirit is worth it, folks. You heard it here first.
0: <laughs> so email us calledpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And now we have our reads of the week. Uh, Bill, you wanna lead off?
1: Yeah, I just I've got a brief read. You've heard me mention uh, this person before, uh, but Rocky Supinger and his blog Yo Rocco. Uh, he blogs five days a week, and there's been a recent post that that really hit me. It was talking about gossip and and how um, we have to be so careful that we're not the the source of gossip or or the gossiping we're doing is is not within the systems that we're operating in, so that we don't tear those systems down. And then the last. Last sentence in this post says reconciliation starts with prevention. And so I, I think what Rocky's trying to say is maybe we don't need to gossip in the first place. And that if we want to be reconciled to each other in the systems in which we operate, if we want to be reconciled to God, uh, it begins with our not gossiping, with our mm-hmm. with our preventing that, uh, with our paying attention to our words all the time, because words have consequences.
0: That's a starting from childhood.
1: It is. Practice. It is. It is. And and you know, it's the sticks and stones type lesson. It, it, those those things seem trivial almost, but they're so vital, so important.
0: You know, I was recently working on um, something with my with my son. He's a preschooler, and he's not at this stage yet because he's three. But later on in preschool, it apparently becomes really normal for kids to say, "You're not invited to my birthday party," mm. um, as like a I I don't like you. I'm unhappy with you, kind of kind of thing. I'm surprised. I'm cutting you off. Yes, I've cut you off from the cupcakes, yo. (laughs) So, but I think that that is like if we're thinking early prevention, that's where those lessons start. Is thinking about like, well, how do your words hurt other people? How do they help other people? Mm, Um, And maybe when you're three, four, five, you don't really care how they help or hurt other people because you're really self-centered. But I think part of the project of working with our young people and our families and in our churches is helping them. Imagine how other people respond to their words.
1: Well, and obviously we're we're living in America in a time culturally and politically where a lot of our leaders aren't paying attention to their words and we see the destruction.
0: Or maybe intentionally, yeah.
1: Well, I, I, yes, yes, and no. I mean, yeah. it's it's intentionally, I think, because it gets them points or it or it feeds their egos. But if if they had any ability to to self reflect, I think they would step back and say, "Oh, this isn't helpful," mm-hmm. uh, or "or this isn't healthy for the larger whole."
0: You know, this is the perfect segue into my read of the week. Uh, the book is "The Color of Life: A Journey Toward Love and Racial Justice" by Kara Meredith. And just you know, the, these um blog posts, books, all these resources will be in our show notes. And this book, The Color of Life, is a memoir written by a white woman, Kara Meredith, who is married to a black man and has biracial children. And her father-in-law is the civil rights activist, James Meredith, oh, who wow. you have probably seen pictures of in your history books. Going back to like these uh, like ramifications of our words and thinking about things, one thing that really impressed me in this memoir is how Kara Meredith was able to learn from things that she had thought, things that she had never even considered, and grow as a person even as an adult. And um, she started out as a person who would be like, well, you know, I'm not racist because I don't see color, and has ended up in a very different place in life. So for me as a white woman who has a biracial child and in a biracial marriage, that perspective was really interesting for me in the book, but especially in how Kara grew as a person through her experience and was able to learn different ways of thinking and different ways of being in the world than she had been raised. And the other thing that I think is really interesting, um, depending on the backgrounds of all y'all listening to this, is that she grew up thinking that to be not racist was to be colorblind. And I realized I didn't actually grow up like that. I, um, my older brother is Hispanic, and I had been aware of races at a really early age. So for me reading this book, it was just really interesting as someone who didn't grow up in a colorblind household to just understand someone's experience growing up that kind of way. And I, I bet there are other people out there who didn't grow up in a colorblind household and are just kind of like, well, how would you even – how would you live like that? How would you, how would you come to that kind of cultural understanding of race? And so I think for those two kinds of readers, um, it's very interesting and really, really thoughtful, very thoughtful kind of book. So that's it for this week's installment of Called. Look for new episodes on the first and third
1: Tuesdays of the month. You can find our show notes at calledpodcast.com.
0: And if you're enjoying the show, please share it with your ministry buddies. That is a great way for them to find the show. And please leave a review of the show wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: We appreciate your feedback. I'm Bill Smoots. And I'm Sarah Bariza. Until next time, cut out the BS and embrace the good.